0: Welcome to The Hidden Bookcase. Come in, have a seat, get comfy.
1: It's just next to the sliding library ladder and right below the shelf titled Dark Academia.
0: Pick a book, your favourite book. That's the one that opens this room. Inside you'll find a warm fire, a loving cat, and a wide skylight to the stars.
1: And a really towering to be pile.
0: I'm Morgan, I use they-them pronouns, and I am a mountain of bees lovingly crafting you cake.
1: I'm Sorin, I use he-him pronouns, and I'm a gluten-free lemon poppy seed muffin forgotten in your bag.
0: We've been friends for 10 years and are always swapping books.
1: But despite having the same taste in books, we never get round to reading each other's recommendations. It's always just another book on the pile.
0: It's a seriously big pile now. It might crush me in my sleep. So each month we're going to force each other to read a book.
1: The new reader will give a blind summary of the book. We'll both go away and read it, and then we'll return to chat about it.
0: So this week, let's get to talking about...
1: The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. So, Soren...
0: Tell me about The Starless Sea.
1: I happened upon the Starless Sea in probably appropriate Starless Sea fashion during my first week working in a bookshop. It was one of the first books that we had that was an independent exclusive edition since I would started working there, and it was absolutely beautiful. I was immediately taken with it, and I was given instructions to photograph it and put it up on the social media. So I read a little bit about it so I could say something appropriate about it. Having spent some time with it in a cupboard and with some fairy lights and taking photos of it at various angles, I immediately knew that I needed to steal an independent edition of this book for myself because it was the prettiest thing I've ever seen and I immediately knew that this job would be very expensive. (laughs) So The Starless Sea follows Zachary Ezra Rawlins who is a college student who discovers a strange book in his college library which is called Sweet Sorrows. It's sort of an anthology of fantastical stories and he's shocked to discover that his childhood self features in a chapter of this book. So he obviously begins looking into the origins of this book and gets drawn into a world of secret societies and underground libraries and the tales from Sweet Sorrows begin to intertwine with Zachary's narrative. Uh, So Morgan, should we listen to your blind reaction to The Starless Sea?
0: Let's do it! Let's (laughs) see how this goes! Okay, so I actually have no idea what this book is about. Um, I'm assuming Dark Academia. Um, I've been told it might be due to... It might have video games in it, and libraries... Uh, I think it starts at a university, but I have no idea. Um, I've read The Night Circus before, so I'm expecting lots of description, lots of vibes, maybe less plot. Um, It's got a key on the cover and a B, which is very vibey. I hadn't noticed before it's got a silhouette um, running on the front and the back, so I'm expecting chase scenes. Or maybe it's metaphorical, maybe it's, you know, escaping your own problems through fiction. Um, And it's got a sword on the cover, which is very pretty. Um, Yeah, I have no idea, but I'm excited to get started.
1: I feel like your escapism guess is pretty on point.
0: You know, I see that this book is recommended by you. I see that this book is about a university student. Oh my god. I put two and two together.
1: How could you do this to me? (laughs)
0: listen we are both very similar people when it comes to this i know i think everything i knew about this book before i went into it was things that you told me like the video games thing
1: can't remember when i said that to you but i feel like i vaguely remember having a conversation Mm -hmm. about it a long time ago a while ago one of the things I do really like is that it treats different forms of media as equal. It doesn't look mm. down on, like, it mentions cartoons and video games and things like that.
0: Mm. That was one of the things I liked, is, like, with Dark Academia, it's usually so obscure. Mm. But with this, it was great, because they'd be, like, making references, and I'd be like, oh my god, I understand that reference, without the fact that they haven't even said where it's from. Oh my god, they're talking about the magicians, they're talking about Lock and Key, oh my god. And, you know, it it matches you know the sword and the and the bee
1: yes yeah, speaking of the cover
0: i like how it looks like a traditional bound book with the sort of marbling on the cover
1: it has a little thing that says author of the night circus on it which i usually find kind of annoying but because mm. they have made it look like a library sticker yeah with a name i, I don't mind it so much i feel like it lends nicely into the aesthetic
0: i think it would have been cool if because on the inside pages there's a silhouette running through a door yeah, but it's in a very blank library, and I would have liked something like one of those library stickers, like who's checked it out. I think that would have been really pretty.
1: Oh, that would have been very clever. I, I like that a lot. Possibly a from the library of Keating. Oh yes, I, it might have been so meta at that point that it might have become confusing. But we—that's
0: <laughs> the whole point of this book. And I love meta metanarrative so much.
1: I did recommend this probably quite transparently with the hope that you would enjoy the metanarrative aspect.
0: Analyzing story. It is my bread and butter. I love it. You have to romanticise your life. You have to think that you
1: are the main character. You have to. So what are your thoughts
0: on Erin Morgenstern's writing style?
1: As we record this, I'm in the process of reading The Night Circus, and I think her style, maybe it's more well developed here. Mm. I'm having a little bit of trouble with the very large cast in The Night Circus. Some of the characters I've occasionally confused one another, and I think it's an unnecessarily large cast. I think some characters could be cut without losing anything from the narrative, Mm. whereas here, it's another big ensemble cast, but I think Morganston handles it a lot better, and in terms of the prose itself, I mean she has some really lovely evocative turns of phrase.
0: Her like turns of phrase and her description and her like storyness storyality? Mm. I don't know what the word is for that. But like narratorness is very good and it definitely suits this book a lot better. Yes. It'd take me an entire year to read The Night Circus. That's fair. Nothing happened until the last hundred pages and I didn't know any of the characters. As far
1: as I feel like this does get going faster it does still Mm. kind of take 100 pages to get going which is yeah slow i think for some people i'm sure yeah i don't really mind books when nothing happens i have a lot of favorite books when nothing happens so it doesn't bother me but Mm.
0: i think if i hadn't been trying to finish this for the recording it would have taken me a lot longer to read yeah the whole first half of the book i was pushing myself and then the second half of the book i did just sit down on the floor and read 250 pages in one sitting and slightly <laughs> terrify my flatmate. Let's talk Zachary and Dorian, though.
1: Let's talk Zachary and Dorian. How, how do you feel about them?
0: I mean, most of my notes throughout this book are just like, that's a bit of a gay thing to say to your love interest. Or, <laughs> I'm sensing a bit of a gay vibe. Or, when Mirabel and Zachary are talking about Dorian's name, mm. and Mirabel's like, oh, yeah, it's from Oscar Wilde. I went, oh, so he's gay gay. Right. Is. I understand. <laughs> and, like, I knew going into this book that Zachary was gay. I didn't realize he was simp for the first man who whispers in your ear. Gay.
1: He just immediately falls in love with him, and usually, Insta Love does bother me. But I'm these two kind of kind of make it work. Honestly, maybe it's yeah. just because I'm sick of like heterosexual Insta Love, and I just wanted a little bit of a breath of fresh air mm.
0: going into it. I was like okay, Dorian is on like a much higher standing because he like understands everything that's going on. Mm. Whereas Zachary has no idea what's going on and is sort of being just buffeted about in all directions. And then Dorian spent half the book unconscious. He did. And by the time they meet back up with each other and Dorian's like, I thought I dreamed you. They're suddenly on equal levels.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: the amount of competency
1: that zachary
0: has really leveled the playing field for both of them
1: indeed yeah that scene in particular where dorian asked a question and zachary says something very opaque and confusing mm. and he says something casual like oh yeah the starless see it's down those stairs mm. and dorian's like what are you talking about because he has no idea to dorian zachary is the mystery boy that came out of nowhere hmm And they are both that to each other, which is quite fun.
0: Yeah, like the fact that Dorian's never been to the library before. Yes. The fact that Zachary realizes that Dorian never saw the heart as it should Mm. be and is sad for Dorian not getting to experience that. The fact that Dorian's been slaving away in this whole world his entire life and Zachary just comes in, destroys the entire foundations of everything he knows in 2.5 seconds. It's just amazing. They're both so baffled and amazed by each other and in awe of each other. And I really think that's just so good.
1: They are each other's call to adventure.
0: There's this one offhand joke that he makes when they first meet up and Dorian's like, like, I'm losing my mind, but in a slow, achingly beautiful sort of way. And Zachary says, oh yeah, so you're feeling better then. (laughs) (laughs) And just immediately I wrote in my notes, like, they're on equal footing now.
1: They're on the same page, if you will.
0: I did like how we were introduced to Dorian as this very put together, organised, mysterious figure And then we get the chapter from his point of view, the first one, Mm. where he's holding the secret history and is like, wow, I wish I could have this. Like, babes, that is very unhealthy. Honestly. (laughs) But also the gay found family instinct is there. Just in my notes, I said, brackets, I love you. You need friends.
1: He really does.
0: He's so lonely and he just needs somebody. And Zachary, is that for him? Because everyone else treats Dorian as on the outskirts as sort Mm. of a nuisance. And then Zachary is like focused on Dorian. Is the first person to focus on Dorian.
1: And I think it's very telling that when Zachary is going through his temptation, the thing that almost gets him is that image of Dorian at his mother's house. Kat is implied to be inside. The rest of his found family are sort of implied to be inside. He wants to embrace him in this way. It's very sweet.
0: Oh, yeah. I really love their relationship. I love how it grows. I love how we get to see both of them from either point of view. And yes, it does happen very fast. But because this whole book is about fate... Yeah. I don't mind it so much because it's never like their soulmates, but it is like their stories are intertwined.
1: That's very true. Within love in a book, they'll see each other and they'll immediately be like, this is the person who I want to be with forever. And I would immediately die for this person. Whereas they don't actually do that. They just want to be with each other again and get to know each other. They don't just assume things about each other. At one point, Dorian wishes Zachary is there because Zachary might be better at puzzles than him, but he doesn't know because he hasn't had the time to get to know him. Mm. but it's he wants to know
0: yeah the first hint we get that they're going to be maybe love interests is that zachary summarizes the night by being like excellent smelling man told me a story in the dark i'm like okay that's a gay way to say it but okay
1: (laughs) an incredibly gay way to describe somebody
0: (laughs) i think also the sappho quote really cinched it for me like Mm. someone will remember as i say even in another time also the fact that zachary recognizes it immediately
1: Yes. Of course that
0: is gay. (laughs) Like no heterosexual person recognizes that Sappho quote.
1: That's probably true. I don't talk to enough heterosexuals to know.
0: The last bit of Kat's diary, she says, so someone maybe somewhere sometime will read it and know. Yeah narrative parallel echoing is she doing this on purpose because i love it
1: i didn't spot that honestly but i feel like she probably was and also i mean kat is sapphic obviously so
0: yes i love kat when we got to kat's point of view i got so hyped and i just raced through the last few chapters because i was enjoying it so much the bit where we go two years into the future it had me stressed
1: Yes, I think Kat's point of view, it's kind of a breath of fresh air and it grounds everything because at that point it's become very vague. Zachary's storyline, Dorian's, they're often the to see, everything's very metaphorical. It's that reminder that people do miss Zachary as well, which I think is important because a lot of Zachary's struggles do revolve around that belief that he thinks that nobody will notice or care if he disappears. Mm.
0: Seeing Zachary from other people's point of view how Zachary's like, I don't have any friends. Like, Kat talks to me sometimes because she knows that I'm lonely, but, like, we're not really friends. And then Kat's like, we were so close to being besties. And Dorian's like, oh my God, they were almost a found family. He has no concept of the fact that he is loved
1: returning to cat for a second one of the things i really love about her is how her voice is utilized by the narrative it's so different from the rest of the narrative the way that she peppers in her likes and pop culture references and little references to things that she's doing
0: i don't usually like a change in tense or person but this really does work
1: yeah, I think because it's a written record. And mm. we've had other written records as part of the book because we have Sweet Sorrows in there and we have The Ballad of Simon and Eleanor in there, so it feels mm. appropriate. Who was your favourite then?
0: I mean, I love Zachary and Dorian. Yes. I love them so much. Wanted to be Mirabelle because
1: yes, I pink kind of hair thought...
0: vibes. I knew you were going to think that Mirabel was my type.
1: <laughs> Mirabelle has the thing of being like a cool pink haired fashion queen, she's also like an unknowable cryptid in a force of the universe. It's both exactly
0: it's like the perfect mix i just i loved all the characters they all felt quite realistic and quite Mm. grounded and down to earth which i think after the night
1: circus was quite nice yeah i like that we didn't get a lot of backstory we just sort of got random hints of things for example we know that dorian was raised by allegra and had a complicated relationship with her and we know that he had a sister who died somehow but we don't know how that happened or even how long ago
0: yeah, and like, we don't know Allegra's backstory apart from the fact that she was the painter. And we don't yeah. really know much of Mirabel's backstory apart from the fact that she was raised in the library by Allegra to a certain extent. I like that. I like the sort of vagueness.
1: I feel like it grounds you in Zachary's perspective a lot because he doesn't know these things, obviously. But then the thesis of this is that a story is an expanding thing and there's parts of it that you're not going to see that rings true here because there are parts of it that you don't see. There's parts yeah. of it that just get implied.
0: I did like how many different stories were being woven together and how mm. no one could fully comprehend the entire story. Like Simon went mad trying to figure it out. And Zachary coming in at the very end, sort of walking through this, aware that so much story has happened already and that he is coming in at the last moment. There was this Tumblr post about the Magnus Archives that was something along the lines of, and spoilers for the Magnus Archives to a certain amount, across the seasons you slowly realise that almost every character you hear from is actually dead and it slowly feels more and more like you're walking through a field of graves. Almost all the plot has already happened and this is just the final segment. That was the exact feeling that I was having.
1: Yeah it's almost got this post-apocalyptic vibe.
0: Yeah I really like the psych out of being introduced to this whole world and being told how it works in Sweet Sorrows and then actually arriving in the world and it is entirely different. Like even Dorian doesn't know that Guardians used to have like, sword tattoos. He doesn't even know that that's the tradition that his tradition came from. He just knows that like, oh, I have this sword necklace and we're supposed to destroy the doors because we're protecting the library. And just the post-apocalyptic feel. The world was solely shutting down on itself. Like The library is destroyed. The sea is rising. Everything is falling apart cinched that all together with zachary dying the entire sea rising and seeming to drown him the lights seeming to go and the bees sort of trying to rush him towards the end Mm. it just felt so eerie and then to have that sudden still calmness of the dance the absolute vibes the painting as well can we talk about the painting yeah the one that's that has zachary and dorian together and the fact that mirabelle knew the entire time she was like i am the number one shipper." (laughs) <laughs> but also, like, I wrote in my notes as soon as I saw that description, I was like, they sound like kings of a broken world. And then if you think about it like that, then maybe actually the sword that's destined to kill the king is not actually destined to kill the owl king. It's destined to kill Zachary.
1: I do love all of that, the characters from the stories within the story being players in this narrative, and it becomes clear who's who, and also that people aren't actually mapped exactly onto themselves from those stories because that's not how stories work and is Mm -hmm. it that they are that person but that person was a metaphor or that they're the metaphor and i love that
0: it's way more about the vibes than about the point the lost cities of honey and bone for example it tells you absolutely nothing but it gives you such a vibe that you understand exactly what's being talked about
1: i think if you're the kind of person that really only enjoys hard magic systems this is going to annoy (laughs) the hell out of you (laughs) yeah but I, I like both. And for me, this, this really scratches the edge of like a beautiful soft magic system and mm. a very sort of Ghibli-esque world that you kind of only feel like you understand a small portion of, but it has that like wonder and awe-inspiring mm. feel. This feels
0: like the sort of book that you need to immediately reread afterwards.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy that I got to reread it. Obviously, it took me ages because I have so many things to read. But <laughs> rereading it again, there were little things that I caught that I completely missed the first time. It was nice to know some things. Knowing that Dorian didn't know anything was quite amusing.
0: Like I didn't know where this book was going the entire time, but I knew it would end well. It sort of built up enough of a safety blanket and it felt like enough of a love letter to stories that it had to have a happy ending.
1: Taking into account the fact that it does have a happy ending, does that disqualify it from being dark academia?
0: Maybe it's light academia, because I would define academia books by their intertextuality by the way they rely on a knowledge of other texts and like yes this is way more modern texts in the fact that it also includes video games and stuff like that but i think it's just a modern take on dark academia because it does need that referentiality or that intellectual setting and i think it ticks both
1: those boxes but does it tick the dark box because i'm wondering if it's not dark enough
0: there's no f- up murder there's no f- up murder there's murder but there's no f- up murder to be fair People get their hands cut off and stuff but it's not very gruesome there's no blood
1: everywhere that's true so does it count as dark i feel like you need to have blood everywhere so maybe it's light academia maybe it's light academia maybe we have to re-record the intro or maybe we'll just leave this bit in where i acknowledge that we have to re record the intro and then we don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think at the end of the day dark academia usually demonizes academia that's true whereas i think this is sort of a love letter to it
1: that's a good point yeah
0: I think that is how I would define dark and light academia, because dark academia is usually focused on class issue, the inherent
1: structure that is at fault, and how it corrupts and how it excludes. Interestingly, yeah, the exclusion is a feature, but it's very much the villain of the story is the people who are trying to make the library inaccessible. But because you're not with them for the whole narrative, it doesn't feel the same.
0: Because mm. I feel like usually dark academia follows the villains.
1: Mm, whereas in this scenario, I mean, perhaps Morganston was thinking about the existing context of books that critique academic systems. There's no move to labour over proving to the readers that the villains are the villains. The simple fact that they're barring the protagonists and others from knowledge seems to be taken as sufficient proof of their villainy for the reader.
0: Yeah, there's never really a question of the main character joining them. There's never really a question of maybe they're correct. There's no seduction of power.
1: Even though they are promised exclusive secret knowledge, the end result is that they're completely barred from it. Some of them don't even know whether or not the library exists or ever existed.
0: I do really love how Allegra goes so far to keep the library safe that she destroys it. We love a good self-fulfilling prophecy. If you ever try to outmaneuver fate, You will cause it. The fact that you don't know how much she loves the library until after she's destroyed it, and then you get her point of view. I love how tragic that makes it on a reread.
1: Also, she just has so much style as a villain. She's so much fun in her faux fur coat with her tea and her slow acting poisons.
0: The moment he drank from the cup, I was like, the poison is always in the cup, bestie.
1: Bit of an oversight. You've played a lot of video games, Akira. Come on.
0: I did initially find it a bit hard to differentiate. Allegra and Mirabel when they didn't have names because they were both wearing white but the Where the Wild
1: Things Are reference made me incredibly happy. Mirabel's introduction in the Max ball gown is really good. I will say I kind of wish that Zachary had called Mirabel Max more because it doesn't actually happen that often and then when the Kiefer says oh you called her Max I was kind of like, did he? I mean, he did a few times.
0: I appreciate the narrative not switching to Max. Originally, I was like, I'm a bit disappointed that it's still calling her Mirabelle. But then I realised how many different names this character has. And was yes. like, actually, please stick to one. I'm
1: so confused. We get Mirabelle and Max and Fate and... The girl. Arguably the moon.
0: Also the storyteller. The fact that she's the story crafter but also the one who hid the heart of fate. But also fate. Which means she hid her own heart. I like it. It doesn't need to make sense.
1: I can completely understand. Like I've seen negative reviews for this book that are like, it's too opaque. There's too much confusion. It's all folding in on itself. What, what is going on? I do get it. I can see why this wouldn't be for everyone. But personally, I am obsessed with it.
0: The lemony insanity is the point.
1: Exactly. I happen to enjoy that flavour of lemony insanity. And if somebody else doesn't, I get it. I can see it being a Marmite book.
0: <laughs> I don't think lemon and Marmite go too well together. No, I
1: don't think they do. But maybe, maybe for somebody they do.
0: Maybe. Maybe. Are you Marmite insane or lemon insane? Oh, so I had a narrative theory. Yes. Okay, so we know that Cat represents the beginning of a new narrative, the return to the start. Zachary symbolizes the end of the narrative. Dorian symbolizes the middle of the narrative because he comes in in the middle, doesn't understand where he's come from or where he's going this is my literary theory
1: for you. That's very cool. I like that a lot. I also like that whole message of if endings and beginnings are the same or mm. naturally follow one from each other, that's a cool link between Zachary and Kat. They're both the linking phase of mm. a narrative.
0: I did like the sentiment. Good stories are good stories if they feel like they keep going on after they finish. And I'm like, yeah but i also want to know what happens next
1: i would love a sequel for this i don't think we're gonna get one no but god i would love a sequel for this i would love more of this
0: like i definitely feel like the point is that we end there yes but also like pirate adventures of zachary and dorian or new librarian cat vibes or literally give me anything yeah so i rated this uh
1: five out of five I did as well. I actually think that I'm definitely rating it a five this time. I think I would have been cautious the first time. It might open a four. But on a reread, there's nothing else I want from this.
0: I definitely was on the fence for a little bit about giving mm. it a four. But I think it was so up my street and so vibey that I just had to give it a five.
1: And to finish this off, do you have any recommendations for anyone who enjoyed The Starless Sea?
0: Having just finished Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death by Selena Godden before I read this. The personification of things such as the moon and time and fate and death felt very similar and the sort of meta-ness of writing and being a character in your own book. I noticed a lot of similarities. That I don't think I would have noticed if I'd read them apart from each other because I read them immediately one after the other. I sort of saw that vibe. So Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death by Selena Godden. Oh, another thing, Gallant by V.E. Schwab. Just because the prevalence of ballroom dancing scenes... There you go. ...in both books is very... I mean, it's also got the hallowing of a specific book, treating it as sacred. The main character does that as well in Gallant. And it's sort of about putting together the past and figuring out the narrative that you've only stepped into at the very final moment.
1: My recommendation for this episode is going to be The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. It's another coming of age story, although this one has a much younger protagonist, and it similarly revolves a lot around the power of stories and narrative, and it kind of blurs the line between metaphor and reality. And it also has a sort of existentialist tone that matches the Starless Sea, where incomprehensible forces like time and fate, if you want to call it that, are explored in an almost eldritch and slightly horrifying way. It's definitely a book that feels like like it was written for readers
0: so next month is going to be spooky month I'm going to be forcing Thorin to read Gideon the Ninth by Townsend Moir I'm so excited about this we're going to get a guest on our first ever guest it's going to be so exciting and I can't say any more but I am screaming until then you're always welcome through the bookcase don't forget to scratch the cat on your
1: way out thank you for listening to the Hidden Bookcase a production of Our Prod on this episode you heard Morgan Greensmith and Soron Briowood discussing The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern You can find out more about this book at erinmorgenstern.com, and you can follow Morganston at ErinMorganston on Twitter. You can find the Hidden Bookcase on Twitter at Hidden Bookcase and on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr and TikTok at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Find out more about PlanarProd at PlanarProd.com Know what we should read next? Or want to chat to us about what you thought of this episode's read? You can reach us at thehiddenbookcase at gmail.com or send us a DM on social media. We'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the Hidden Bookcase, please consider leaving us a rating or review. Or you can always tell a friend how to find us. Your whispers are the best way for bookworms to discover our show. October is spooky month at The Hidden Bookcase. On our next episode, which will be out on Monday, the 10th of October, we'll be discussing Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Moore. We hope to see you then, and in the meantime, you're always welcome through The Bookcase.